Yo, this is Pastor Tito here. Welcome you to another episode of my revolutionary podcast where I'm here to help you find faith in Christ and how to follow through with your life. And today we are doing a two-part series called Heart for This House. And the this house that we're going to talk about this week is God's house. See, I know there's a lot of talk constantly and there's a lot of uh, sermons out there that, that talk about, you know, God's purpose for your life, God's purpose for your life. And all those are great. And the one thing that I want to make sure that you understand and recognize is that God's purpose is always tied into his provisions. And one of the things that God has provided to give you and to support okay, your purpose in this world is the church. And so I not only do I want you to reconsider the meaning of life and the meaning of your purpose, I want you to reconsider the church itself. I wanted to start today by sharing a quick testimony. Obviously, being Super Bowl Sunday, I was remembering a testimony that I heard of a Super Bowl champion. One of my favorite, growing back in the day, one of my favorite uh, players, I mean, all-time great, Deion Sanders. Some of you guys know who he is, maybe. Some of you guys might not. Deion Sanders tells his testimony of, I believe it's the first time he won his first Super Bowl. And they asked Deion, this is prime time. I mean, if you knew, if you know anything about Deion Sanders, I mean, this guy had all the FSU, right? He had all the talent. I mean, all the talent. This guy, the only one yet, right? The only one in history to be able to play not only for a Super Bowl, but a World Series. That's how talented this guy was, that he played multiple sports. And it was amazing. This guy had the smile. He had the charisma. He had everything you would think you would need. He had it all. He had it all. And when he goes and he wins his first Super Bowl, they ask Dion, what'd you do? How did you celebrate your Super Bowl? He says, I got on, the, I was the first one on the bus and I went straight home. I went straight to my apartment where everyone was like, he says, I didn't party like everybody else did. I'm like, why? They asked him why. Because I spent my whole life as an athlete, right? If, if that's your profession, obviously the championship is, is the pinnacle. It's what you work towards, what you work for, right? That's the goal. Why bother if it's not? And he goes and he says, well, I, I achieved the top of his profession. And not only that, I mean, you could say he achieved the, the, the top of uh, so many different categories. And I was like, you know what? If I could just win that Super Bowl, he gets it only to realize that it wasn't enough. He's there celebrating. But then when that rush went away, I'm like, wait a minute. That's it. He went home realizing even winning a Super Bowl wasn't enough. It wasn't fulfilling enough. He struggled with depression, lost his family, almost lost his life, almost wanted to commit suicide, and almost did. Until he, like we sang a minute ago today, one day went to Jesus and said, God, I give up. Take me. Take my life. I give up. I'm yours. Ever since then, Dion has been different. Dion, now I'm not perfect, obviously you and I haven't been either, but Dion has been different because he has found something that he couldn't find in this world. He found it in the living God. He found it and he found that God's love fulfilled him. God was, and that's what's important. And he was, he was asking this question that you and I, I've asked it. I know some of you online here in person, you've asked this too. Have you ever asked yourself, is there just more to life than this? Is there more to life than this? Some of us have found there and some of us, you're going to get there. You think, oh, if, what I just need to do is just make a little money. And then when you make that amount of money, you're going to realize, well, I just need a little more. It's never enough. And then you're going to think, well, if I just need to be in a relationship. 
If I could just have a relationship with a person like this, if I could get married, and you're going to realize that's not enough if that was what you're looking for. Oh, what I need to do is have kids, and when you have kids, you realize, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. You know, this is not fulfilling at all. This is frustrating. This isn't fulfilling. This is frustrating, right? And you think, and this, it happens to us so many times. We work and we achieve so many hopes. You know, we, we, we achieve our dreams only to realize it's not enough. Is there more to life than this? And yes, there is. There is. But then, and here's the one thing about Christians that we think about as well. And this is one thing I want you to consider because there is something more to life and it is finding life itself, which is in God. And God, let me tell you, God not only can fulfill you personally, emotionally, spiritually, but he has something for you to do that is fulfilling. And let me tell you, it is, has nothing to do with your career. Well, let me stop. It could God can use your career, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a tie to your career. God has a calling that is greater than your career. And for a while, I struggled with that. I was like, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What do you want me to do after I surrendered? God, I just wanted to live for him. So God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And I ignorantly used to think my calling was tied to my career. My calling was tied to my career. So all I focused on was in a career. God, how am I going to get a paycheck for doing what? You're calling me to do. And that's when I realized, bro, I'm thinking too small. Because God has a calling that is greater than your career. And he has a calling for you that he can use despite your current career situation that you have right now. In the same way that you've ever asked yourself the question, is there more to life than this? I want to piggyback and I have you ask this one question. Is there more to church than this? Is there more to church than just doing what we're doing right now? Singing some songs, listening, praying, worshiping. You know, giving, is there more to church than what we are doing right now? And I'm going to argue and say, yes, it is. It is. There is more. We think too small and we criticize too much a gift that God gave us to find fulfillment in him in this world. And it's, it's his bride. It's his girl. God don't like people talking about his girl. All right. That's his, that's his baby. All right. Listen, is there more to church than this? Because there is. And when we understand that, because see, God's church is his home, God's heart. And today we're going to look at God's heart for his house, his heart for his house. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about God's heart for your house specifically, but we're going to focus on his house first because God has a heart for his house. And when we understand God's heart for his house, we will discover the greatest purpose that we can ever live for, despite what you do or don't do for a living. And that's what we're going to look at today. And so we're going to read Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 11. So if you have your Bibles, guys, open up to Acts 6. This is, where, this is home base for today. Acts 6, 1 through 11, uh, chapter 1, verses 6 and 11. We're going to put it on the screen for everybody online or here if you don't know where it is. Acts is found right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the, Old, in the New Testament. You'll see it there. So we're going to read Acts 6, 1. Keep on messing that up. 6 through 11. Here we go. So... When they had come together, they being the, uh, the apostles, the, the 12 apostles of Jesus, when they had come together, they asked him, Jesus, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? He, Jesus, said to them, listen, uh, it's not for you to know the time or periods that the Father has set up by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he had said these things, 
he, Jesus, was taken up as they were watching. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven. And suddenly two men, two angels in white clothes stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why are you standing there? Why do you stand there looking up into heaven? What are you staring at? What are you standing there for? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven. Because he's going to come back the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. So if you're not familiar with this, with this chapter, with this section, this is uh, documenting the ascension of Jesus. Jesus had died for when he lived. He died on the cross, rose from the dead, spent a period of time, the risen Jesus with these apostles for 40 days, showing them, spending that time with them. But then it came to a moment that he was going to go up to heaven, and he actually says what he was going to do. Remember we talked about how he's going to, we're talking about today's God's heart for his house. Well, Jesus said, listen, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a home for you. That's what Jesus is doing. He had a job and a task to do. He says, I'm going to prepare a home. Trust me, there's going to be plenty of rooms. There's plenty of space. And listen, I want you to know this about God's house. God wants a full house. God wants a full house. He doesn't want an empty house. He wants it full as much as possible. That's why if y'all wondered, man, yo, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, he said he's coming back soon. It's a bit, right? Well, it's because he has more space and he wants you. He's made room for you, 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 and he's going he's gonna to wait until the last spot is taken. And that's it, right? So he's waiting. He has a home to build. And so this ascension is happening right after all of that. And this kicks off the book of Acts, which is interesting because for four gospels, we have Matthew's account, Luke's account, Mark, and John. Luke actually is a one, the gospel of Luke is, Luke is the same guy who wrote Acts, okay? So we're going to talk about him in a little bit. This ascension, we have a misconception, right? They're excited. They're like, all right, Jesus, is this it? Because he said, hey, wait for me at a certain spot, Mount of Olives, right? That's where I prayed. Y'all remember where y'all kind of took off and abandoned me that one time? Yeah, yeah, I remember. Don't, you know, but anyways, meet me there. We're going to talk. They go and they're like, all right, God, so is this it? You're going to do it, right? Because for generations, the Jewish people were expecting and waiting for a Messiah to come to establish and raise up the kingdom of Israel. So there was a misconception because did you notice the question? They said, uh, are you going to do it now? Is this it? Is it time that you're going to bring the kingdom of God? You're going to restore the kingdom of Israel right now? And the misconception was this. It wasn't so much of an ignorant statement because Jesus didn't necessarily correct them because Jesus was doing that. In fact, it was happening at that moment, and they didn't even realize it. Because the second that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, the kingdom of God was being established and restored in this world. So it was happening. They just hadn't seen it yet. You see that? The, the seed was planted in the dirt, but they hadn't seen any of the fruit yet. They hadn't seen the sprout, the vine. And so it was happening. They didn't see, so God didn't, Jesus didn't correct them. But also, they maybe were thinking of Israel as a nation, right? Because they were all Jews. But Jesus had a different, and he said it, listen, there is a different, a spiritual Israel that is not bound to a DNA, not bound to an ethnicity. It is all bound by your faith. It is a family of God that is made and defined by faith in God. And non-Jews are able to be grafted in to this family. I, I, that's me. All right? I know I might look Middle Eastern, but I'm not. So I'm grateful for that. And so the thing is, that he, there was a little misconception, but the misconception was this. Did you notice the question? Uh, God, are you, Jesus, are you going to establish and restore the kingdom of Israel? When are you going to do it? Are you going to do it now? 
That was the misconception because notice that Jesus said, he brings a correction to that misconception. He says in verse uh, seven, he says, um, guys, listen, it's not your job. It's not your responsibility. It should not be your focus to know when I'm going to do that. That's not, you're missing, you're missing the point. And uh, that's, that's not it. Trust me, I got mine. I, I, I got a job that I'm doing and I will do. But your focus shouldn't be, God, when are you going to do it? Because he says that word, right? He brings that from the correction. He brings this commission. And he says, you know, the time and periods, when that's going to happen, don't worry about that. But, when he used that word but, it means that what I just said is important, but what I'm about to say next is even more. This is where your focus needs to be after this but. And what did he say that but was? He said, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses. And that, that commission tells us something. He's saying, listen, the time and place, I got that. You don't worry about that. You worry about you on what you're going to do in this place where you are and in this time. In essence, I thought that was interesting because the apostles were like, God, uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to do it? And he pretty much says, yeah, I'm going to do it, but uh, I need you to, I want you to participate. You, you in? Look at that. He's saying, you are going to be a part of this. I'm not going to, you're not going to sit there like so many of us are going to sit in our homes and watch two teams play a game and win it. That, you know, one, somebody's going to win it. That, that's not what, that, that they thought they were going to just be eyewitnesses to that. And they're like, no, 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 no. Yo, put your pads on. You're going to get in the game. What, what, what? <laughs> like from the stands into the game. No, that's it. Yep, it is. And he says, you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of you, I don't know how you feel about that. But listen, the Holy Spirit, none of that is, none of that is weird. It's not. Literally, the, when he says you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit, meaning, listen, you're going to go be witnesses, and I'm going to give you the ability to do that. And by the way, the ability is me. That's God, what he's saying. The ability to witness to others, the ability to be that kind of witness. By the way, it's me. I'm not just sending you. By the way, I'm going to go with you. I got you. All right, don't worry about it. I'm here. That's what he's telling them. And that's this co-mission. That's what we call the great commission. By the way, notice it is not the great mission, but co-mission. Because this isn't a solo mission, guys. This isn't a solo mission. It's a co-mission because uh, it's a mission for and from a community. The community of followers of Jesus Christ and this family. This is a co-mission. A mission from and for a community that we're supposed to do. But listen to that word, though. Y'all got to, I'm going to pause right here. Let's slow down. Let's slow down. Let's call a timeout, and we're going to look at this right here. Right? He says, you're going to be my witness. What does that mean? I looked at that word, and it was interesting. There was something about that word that I didn't know. Because when I think of witness, I was pretty much, I think, with the same thing you guys think of a witness is. You know, when, when you see, I don't know if you guys have, you know, your favorite uh, lawyer kind of TV shows, right, or, or movies and whatever. But when somebody calls a witness, when somebody calls a witness, what is a witness? It is a truth teller, right? A witness is a truth teller. Someone says, listen, I saw something. Yo, I was there. I was there. I saw this or I experienced this. I heard this. This is what I know. And they are supposed to testify to the truth. Yes or no? A witness is someone who testifies to, listen, not just the truth, capital T, truth. All a witness is supposed to do is literally testify to their truth. Listen, I don't know if he killed him, but I knew, I saw him do this, right? You, do you see what I'm saying? Witnesses don't always see it all. They may have a moment, a picture here and there. And they, why do we call multiple witnesses on trial? To piece it all together, Right? That's what a witness is. A witness doesn't have to prove anything ever happened. All a witness has to do is be faithful to their experience. 
Listen, all I know is what I saw. All I know is what I did, right? That's a witness. And obviously, guys, listen, you can't have a testimony without a trial. You can't have a testimony without a trial. And there's times I want you as believers in Christ, let me talk to you right now. Every trial that you experience in your life, whether God ordained it or well, God allows it or not, but listen, every trial, whether you brought it upon yourself or you just kind of walked into it, every trial gives you an opportunity to witness, to testify to the truth of God through your behaviors, through your words, through your action. Every trial gives you an opportunity to testify, not complain or and all that stuff, man. No, take it as an opportunity to be a witness. And, but here's the, here's the one that got me. The word witness that Jesus used, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It's the same Greek word that we get the word martyr from. He's like saying, I want y'all to be my martyrs in Jerusalem, Judea, everywhere. I want you to be my martyrs. Now, some of y'all know what a martyr is. A martyr is someone who dies for what they lived for because they believed it to be true. And see, now what I'm telling you, see, some of y'all be like, oh, I picked the wrong church today. Uh, yeah, we're not having communion today. I'm not sipping on that Kool-Aid. All right. No, 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 no communion. Don't worry about it. Listen, 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 listen. The kind of martyrs that Jesus wants are not people, not necessarily people, but yes, for some of us, God might call us in our life pursuit to even face death itself and to say, nah, he's still true. I don't care what you're going to do to me. He's still true. He's still true. But listen, we are, and all of us, though, are called to, listen to Jesus' words, die daily, aren't we? We're supposed to die to ourselves daily, picking up our cross every single day. Paul, we talked about a couple weeks ago, for those who were here, you be a living sacrifice, a living martyr. Be a living martyr, dying to yourself and living for the one who died for you. No matter what, that's the thing about a martyr. They do and go all the way till the end, no matter what, because they believed what they saw and experienced to be true. That's a martyr. That's a witness. That's how we, Jesus is saying, I want you to be a witness like that, a martyr for me. And then he gives not only the commission, he gives the destination. Did you guys catch that? He says, I want you to be a martyr, a witness in Jerusalem, which is where they were at the current time. It was their city. It was home base. It was the capital city of their hometown. And in Judea, which was their home nation. That was their nationalities. Now, uh, stop. Keep on going. Then he goes to Samaria. Samaria was the neighboring nation. It wasn't maybe, it was, you could say it was probably the closest nation. It was like the nation next. But, you know, they had nations all around. Samaria was next. And then he says, oh, by the way, into the ends of the earth all of it. No limits. There is no limit to my love. And so there should be no limit to how far you're going to be willing to tell somebody about my love. No limits to this love. And he says, I want you to take this, keep it local, take it. And I want this message, this commission is for local. It is national. It is irrational. And it is international. That irrational one was interesting because see, all right, we get it. The Jerusalem where you at home base. All right. I got that. That makes sense. Judea, Everybody in your hometown, I, I feel you. Okay, okay. Samaria, wait, what now? See, for Jews, you and I hear that, it doesn't matter. But Jews and, some, Jews and, and Samaritans, okay, they were prejudiced towards one another. They hated each other. They were racist towards one another. They were bigoted towards one another. If the Jews can pick one team, their rival, right? I'm talking about rival games. If the Jews had a rival, it was the Samaritans. It was one that they would throw down no matter what. I was like, no, nah, not you. That's why Jesus' parable about the great, you know, the, the good Samaritan was very controversial for them. 
And so Jesus says, I want you to take this message first. Once you take it to my people, remember he says, are you gonna restore the kingdom of Israel? He says, oh yeah, but I want you to know it's bigger than just a nation. It's bigger than this block that we got right here carved out in the Mediterranean Sea. I want you to take this all throughout Israel. Oh, by the way, it's not just for them. Take it to Samaria too. Look at how interesting this is. Because again, that was hard. You had to be a witness. Here's Jews telling non-Jews, or in this case, Samaritans, which again, there was beef there. There was beef there. Listen, let me, let me tell you about this Jew that died for you, okay? That, that was, what? That was an interesting thing. But see, this is why I call this irrational. N local, national, irrational. Because if a Jew can love a Samaritan, he can love anybody. If a Jew can love a Samaritan, and if a Jew can witness to a Samaritan, he can love anybody. That's like you. Let's say, you know, hey, if I can, if I can love a racist, somebody who's racist towards me, oh, I can love anybody, yes or no. If you can love somebody and not hold resentment towards somebody who is racist towards you, you can love anybody. If you can love someone who hates you, you can love anybody. If you can love somebody and not hold any resentment to somebody who has said horrible things, treated you poorly, misused, abused, whatever which way, if you can love that person, oh, there's nothing. There's, there's nothing that can stop you now. There's nobody that you're not, you know, there's nobody that you can't love if you can love that and so even this message is supposed to, I call it, I say irrational for us because it is meant for all people, especially people you think deserve it less and deserve it least. It's for them. And then international. For, I mean, just take it to everybody. And then you see finally after that, after the destination, we have that motivation. Jesus takes off and they're just standing there. I wonder, I, I, this is not in scripture, so I wonder what they were thinking. As they're like, there goes Jesus what did he say? I don't know. This is just me wondering. I'm like, this would be me. If I was them, I'd be like, where'd he go? I, I, he's not, he wants me to do what? You want me to go where? Huh? How am I going to do that? I mean, these guys were not rich or they had nothing. They had nothing. And to say, I want you to go and travel internationally, that's not what people did. These guys barely left maybe a square radius of like 10 miles or less or something like that. This is all they knew. And he is stretching them, saying, no, man, this is for everyone. And I wonder if they were just standing there just like, uh, now what? <laughs> like, I don't know. They're just standing there. Wait, is he going to come back right away? Hurry up. Hurry up. Now? Are you? I don't know. And I, 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 this is me, but I was looking at this, and I was wondering maybe that's why God sent those angels. Because he sent those angels to go, I'm like, um, guys, what are you staring at? What are you staring at? Why are you standing there? Didn't you hear what he said? Get going, right? And so kind of like those angels kind of motivated them. What are you staring at? Stand in there. He's like, uh, listen, in the same way that he came, right? did he not say he was going to come back? Well, the way you saw him go, he's going to come back. Listen, did not God say, and this is for us and the Jews are remembering, God had promised the Messiah for generations, for thousands of years, and he fulfilled that promise, and he did it. And then Jesus said, I'm going to die and raise from the dead in three days, and he pulled it off. So guys, if he's telling you he's going to come back, trust him, all right? He, he's, he's been, you know, he's earned that. But get going. Get going. And see, then you see from there on out, this is why the book is called the book of Acts, because it is the acts of the apostles, or better phrasing, it is the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. That's what we see. For the next, the whole book of Acts covers 30 years, the first 30 years of Jewish history. That, I'm sorry, the church's history. That's what the book of Acts is. And the book of Acts is nothing but faith in action. Faith in action because of what Jesus had done. And they were to go tell everybody. And listen, 
that witness, the reason why they can be a witness is because Jesus first was a witness. Check out John 18, last verse of the day. You can just flip a couple pages to the left. You're going to find John 18, verse 37. I want you to see because he Jesus, you and I, the reason why we can be a witness to the truth is because first Jesus was. Look at John 18, verse 37. Let me paint the scenario. Here we have Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate. He's been arrested. He's he's about to be crucified on the cross. He's been interrogated by the Roman proconsul there of the area because the Jews couldn't just kill anybody for that. They had to get permission because Rome was uh, in charge. And they go to him and they say, all right, God, uh, I'm sorry, you know, Pontius Pilate, we need you to deal with this guy because this guy is claiming to be our king and we have no king but Caesar. And so they didn't like him. They were threatened and they wanted to kill him. And here Jesus is standing there being interrogated and he's just, he's not defending himself because he knew he had a mission to complete and he had a purpose. I know some of us, we always wonder, oh, what's God's purpose for my life? God's purpose for my life. And look, there's a little lower key purpose. First, let me tell you, God's purpose for your life is to be saved. That's it, okay? Let me be real with you. God's major purpose for your life is to be saved, is to know him. That's his major purpose, all right? And if you're not a believer in Christ, your purpose, his purpose for you is hell. That's hard to hear, but that's the truth, though. God's purpose for your life is for all men to be saved, and you have to receive that. It's not going to happen automatically. But then you got your lower key, you know, your, your lower P purpose, like, okay, the application, what am I actually supposed to do? Well, you know what Jesus' purpose was? If I asked you, what is Jesus' purpose? I came into the world to, I'm pretty sure a lot of us, if you've grown up, you know, hearing the word, a lot of things would pop up in there. Well, guys, literally Jesus said word for word why he came. Look at verse 18, 37. Pontius Pilate asked him, are you a king? Jesus replies, listen, my kingdom is not of this world. So Pontius Pilate, verse 37, we can put on the screen. He says, oh, so you are a king then. Pontius, probably sarcastically, who knows what this crazy Jew is saying. Verse 37, oh, so you're a king then? Pilate asks, you say I'm a king. Jesus replied, I was born for this. That I, and this is the reason why I have come into this world. My purpose is this, he says, to testify to the truth. Jesus' purpose and reason for existing, why he was born, why he lived, why he died, well, was going to die, and why was he going to resurrect, why all of those things. His purpose was to testify to the truth, is by his life to be a witness, to say, listen, this is the truth, and I'm not just going to say it, I'm going to show it. I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to show you what I've done. Jesus' purpose was to be a witness to the truth to testify to the truth. Is there any other coincidence? I don't think it's one. If you're going to call yourself Christian, you now have the same purpose that Christ had. Why are we still alive? Why, if you've believed in Jesus, why didn't you just ascend into heaven right away just like he did? Why are you still here? Why are we all still here? If you're a believer in Christ, you remain because you have a purpose to testify to the truth of God of who he is and what he's done in your life. That's why you're still here. That's why if you're a believer in Christ, you didn't get beamed up right away. That is the reason. That is the reason because that faith is now requires an action because there are sinners left to be saved. There's still those that need to know, need to see, need to hear. 
And that is God's heart for his house. He wants you to have a heart for his house. So many of us put our priority on my house. That's why we're putting this one first and next week is my house. You need a heart for his house. And his house is still not full. And he wants so many of our family members, friends, neighbors, who knows, to come to know him. He wants a full house. And you and I, as believers in Christ, we should pray, God, give me a heart. Not just for the found. Give me a heart for the lost and found. Give me a heart for those, for the lost that are still lost in their sin. And give me a heart for your people that are found in you. We need a heart for the lost and the found. Because God, listen, God has a house and he has a family and he wants that family full. And that's why we as a church, we always use that phrase. Listen, when you come to Tabernacle, when you come to Tabernacle, whether online in person, when you join Tabernacle, you become. When you come to Tabernacle, you become forever familiar. Gotcha. All right. When you come to Tabernacle, you become forever Familia. That's why it's a family that is not a counterfeit family that the world gives you. It is a different one, a better one. It is a family in which you find fulfillment. But this family is not just something you sit in and you're a part of and you just kind of sitting back. No, it is an active family. This is why we are volunteers, our church members, our leaders. This is why we like to call them the fam, F-A-M, the fam, because it represents family, but also F-A-M all represents something. It is a family that operates in faith, in action, on mission, F-A-M, faith, action, and mission. We have faith in Christ, and because of that faith in Christ, our actions then follow, and that action isn't for us. That action is attached to a greater mission, the co-mission, so that others can become part of that forever familia as well. That's who we are. That is what we do, faith in action on mission, being witnesses to Christ. And I know maybe some of you guys are probably asking at this point, Yo, I can't do that, bro. I can't do that. I, I, I'm not Paul. I'm not Peter. I'm not this. Literally end sentences, mid-sentence, start another one. It's, it's horrible. I frustrate myself so bad. Listen, I'm not the best public speaker. I'm not, I'm not the smartest I mean, guy in the thing, whatever, bro. See, look at that. See, I mean, I have the, the report cards. I have the report cards. I was an average student. I mean, C's and, you know, I only got an A in Bible. I'm sorry. I was easy. I was in Christian school. I got F's and word problems all the time, man. The word problems wrecked me. Grammar wrecked me. I mean, I'm not the smartest guy in the bunch. I'm not the most talented. I wasn't. There was always other people smarter than me, better than me, all that stuff. But it's not me. It's Christ in me. It is the Holy Spirit in me. Same thing with these apostles. Same thing with these apostles, guys. These apostles, listen, they were a ragtag collection of just nobodies. They were other government. They were, one was a, a you know a tax rep, you know a tax employer. He worked for the IRS. The other guy was an insurrectionist. You know some other dude. Many of them were just fishermen. You know one guy. The only really the smartest one of the bunch was Paul. I mean that guy was like a brainiac, a genius. I mean everybody else were just blue collar dudes, literally. And when you read the book of Acts, they were they were astonished. They were like, how are these no namers? How are these? unimportant how are these uneducated people doing what they're doing and they have this great description it says they recognize oh they used to spend time with jesus see jesus it was the spirit in them it was not them it was it was not them it was the spirit in them and look what they did guys we have this the whole new testament paul writes so many letters luke Luke was one of the Gospels. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, wrote Acts. Luke, by the way, was a doctor. He wasn't an apostle. He didn't see Jesus resurrected. He witnessed, or better said, he interviewed 
eyewitnesses who were there. And he was like, hey, I need to talk to somebody who was there. And he got and became a believer in Christ, not because he saw Jesus, but because he encountered people who encountered Jesus. Paul probably led him to Christ. And Luke then leaves behind his career, leaves behind his practice, and dedicates the next 30 years plus to writing down what he's seeing, what he is witnessing. And I know, yeah, he was smart and stuff, but guys, you don't understand. For us, writing something on a sheet of paper costs us pennies. Back then, it was expensive. To be able to write a document and then rewrite it and make copies was ridiculous. That was just something for the rich and the upper class, not for common folk like these guys. And they were able to write letters and books and copies and manuscripts. This was a probably a multi-million, multi-billion dollar operation for a bunch of people making minimum wage. How did they do that? It wasn't them. It was the spirit of God in them. And not only that, these guys did go. They, they obeyed Christ and they went all throughout so many places. They traveled internationally when it was impossible to do that. Or better said, most travel was done by foot. You know, we got cars and we got this and boats and so many things. Much of travel back then was by foot or an animal. It was expensive. It was expensive. Right? For, for regular people who didn't even, have, these guys didn't have a job. They had to be sponsored to do some of this stuff. But how did they get the money? How did they get the ability? It was not them. It was the Holy Spirit in them. And let me tell you, some of them, not everybody went to the nations. Some stayed in Jerusalem because that's what God wanted. Let me tell you guys, for some of you, God might call some of you to go to the nations. And God might just call some of you just stay, stay home in your neighborhood. Both matter. Both are important. Some of you, he might call to cross the sea. Others, listen, just cross the street. You got to do both. Both are important. And so you would have some who didn't. They stayed in Jerusalem, not out of fear, because they knew this is where God wants me, and I'm going to plant my flag right here. And so they did that. Some stayed in Jerusalem, and others took off. Let me tell you, all but one were martyred, literally killed for their faith in gruesome ways. John, the apostle John, was the only one who didn't. But do you guys know how far they went? This is amazing. Look how far they, these people went. Not only did some stay in Jerusalem, some went to Samaria, but these apostles actually went as far from Jerusalem. This is impossible to think. It's crazy to think. Some of them went to Armenia, modern-day Armenia, modern-day Turkey, and all along the Caspian Sea, southern Russia, some of these apostles went to. Others went to Beirut, Persia, which is Iran, modern-day Iran, Syria, and southern Arabia. Others went to Italy, Greece, and all throughout the Mediterranean Sea. And others even went from Ethiopia, north in Carthage, northern Africa. Oh, and some went as far as East India. Look at that. By foot, okay? India, why would they do that? And all of them died in their pursuit. Why? Because they saw someone die and come back from the dead. That's what they saw. They saw their savior and they saw what they, oh, that's all they told is their truth. And so listen, if God can use these guys, he can use you. He can to be able to do that. So don't disqualify yourself. And so you may, all right, fine, I'm, I guess I can do it. But then how do I do it? Listen, don't overcomplicate it. Being a witness in all these places, no matter where you are, because by the way, a missionary, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you're a missionary. You're a missionary. You know where your mission field is? Wherever your two feet are standing right now. That's your mission field. That's it. Wherever you are, home, work, wherever, anywhere, that's it. And so how can I do this? How can I do this? How can I be that faithful witness? Well, let me, don't overcomplicate it. Because let me tell you what it isn't. Being a witness is not about winning an argument. Some of y'all need to listen. It's not about winning an argument. 
It is not about relying on your intellectual capability to convince anybody of anything. And it is not manipulating someone to make a decision. It is not. Listen, I, I listened to something yesterday that convicted me hard. It was like, oof, I got to say that one. All right, so some of y'all parents need to brace up. Uh, there's a lot of parents that, and I've got to be careful because, yeah, I'm, I'm a parent too, and, and I'm trying not to do this. And so there's a lot of parents out there that emotionally manipulate their kids to say a prayer and to be baptized just so they can see, oh, okay, then my kid is saved now. My kid is saved. Listen, your child might have gotten baptized, but the only thing that you baptized was your anxiety. Because they, if they didn't really truly believe in Christ, you only baptized your anxiety because you didn't want to deal with the stress. Is my kid going to go to hell? And now, oh, they did something. I'm good, right? No, they have to mean it. They have to mean it. And so the thing is, guys, is we're not called to manipulate anyone to make a decision. That's not what I do. That's not anything here. What is it? It's easier. In fact, it's not that. It's, it's, it's easy. Tell people who Jesus is. Tell people what he has done on the cross through the grave. Tell them what he has done in you. And this is the key one, telling them that, listen, there are the reason why we need a sin, we, the reason why we need a savior is because we are sinners. If we need a savior, it's because we need saving from something, don't we? It's called good news for a reason because good news comes with bad news. Good news, Jesus has died on the cross and made it possible for all who believe to be saved and have eternal life. Bad news, you don't believe in Christ, you end up in eternity in hell. That's for real. And that's what all I deserve. That's what so many of us deserve. That is what we're supposed to do. I know that's not, ooh, bro, really? I see, oh, man, no, 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 no. Can I just tell people? But you're awesome. God loves you. You're so great, you know, whatever is it. God loves you. You're amazing. No, dude, you are an amazing sinner. You are condemned, bro, right now as you stand. As you stand, you got to trust in Christ. That's what I did, and look what he did in my life. And that's it, guys. That's all we are called to do is to tell people. Because some of you are like, oh, I don't want to. Because what if they ask me some random question I can't answer? Who cares? It doesn't matter. All you're supposed to answer is why you believe. That's it. Why do you believe? That is it. Because that's your truth. Who's going to argue with your truth? Especially nowadays, right? Yo, it's my truth. Okay, let me tell you my truth. Let me tell you what I've seen. Let me tell you what I've seen God do in my life. They can't argue with your eyewitness testimony of what God has done in you. That's it. It's as simple as that is either witnessing with your words, telling them why you believe, or pay attention. Listen to this one. This one's a key one here. Behaving in such a way that people see by the way you live, they witness God in you. You can witness by the words that you say and you, why you believe, and you can witness in the way you live, and they can witness the way you live and say, there's something different about this guy. How can you be so positive? How can you be this? How can you be that? You can witness with your words and your actions, both of them, guys. And let me, let me just make it even more simpler than this. Here's the bottom line. You ready? Here's how we can be a witness. You and I spread the gospel the same way we spread gossip. Just tell somebody. That's it. That's it. We spread the gospel the same way we spread gossip. And oh, I know y'all are some good. And I know y'all can do that. I know y'all can do that. You spread, God, you spread the gospel the same way you spread gossip. Just tell someone. That is all you are called to do. And listen, the apostles were imperfect. In fact, when you read the book of Acts, they got it wrong a ton of times. And they documented it there. They're like, yo, Peter, let me, let's say Peter, Luke, can you fix that, bro? Like, you're making me look bad, dude. 
No, they didn't argue with Luke because that's what happened. It was like, yeah, 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 leave that in there. I want people to see how I got it wrong so they, don't, they can learn from my mistake. Listen, that's the truth. These guys were imperfect, yet they had purpose. And so are we in Christ Jesus. We may be imperfect, but in Christ, we have purpose. We have purpose. And all we're supposed to do is act on faith in our way that we behave and act on faith in telling people why we believe. That's it. And when you act on faith, you're going to see an act of God. Because, see, salvation, you can't do it on your own. It is the power of the Spirit that does it. It's it. You guys are stressing too much. So many of us are stressing too much. But in reality, guys, it's, it's as simple as that. You got to let it go. Tell somebody. Tell me that you're not going to see Chiefs fans or Bucks fans. Bucks fans. Uh, by the end of tonight, whoever the winner is, oh, they're going to tell somebody who won, right? They're going to tell somebody who won, right? Because they're going to like, yo, my team won. I'm going to let you know my team won because it's good news for me. It's good news for me. How can we not be the same to say, listen, let me tell you, good news. My Christ Jesus has won, and he has defeated sin and death on the cross. I got, if, I can, if I can be excited, if I can be excited about that, then, which it's okay to be, then we could be and should be excited about this. If some of you love to rep the you know, chief's kingdom, if we can rep chief's kingdom, we can rep Christ's kingdom. Right? If we can fire the cannons and raise the flags, then we can speak the fire that is in the canon of Scripture. All right? We can do that. And we can raise the cross and raise the standard, raise a flag of victory. We can do that too. It's the same thing. It is not as complicated as we believe. All we are called to do is do our best in this way, and the Holy Spirit will do the rest. Doesn't mean everybody you're going to testify to is going to get saved. That's not your job. Remember, they were like, God, when are you going to do it? Uh, are you going to do this again? Listen, it's not, it's not your job to do my job. My job is to save people. Your job is just to serve people and tell them. I'll handle that part. But how are they going to know if they don't hear? That's all we're called to do. You're not going to, you guys are not going to be successful. Listen, a great batting average in baseball is 300. You know what that means? That, the, that means they hit the ball three times out of 10. That's failing, okay? That's like worse than F if you think about it. That's a 30% average, and that's amazing. And you got baseball players today with a 184 average still playing baseball, making bank. Listen, that's all it is. It's not about the numbers. It's about you being faithful and being unashamed. Being unashamed. That's why Paul would later declare, I'm unashamed of the gospel of Jesus because it is the power to save souls. I know it sounds weird. I know it sounds crazy. Like, literally, I just got to tell somebody, bro, you're a sinner. You're about to go to hell. That's who wants to hear that. I'm going to, they're going to, oh, my gosh. I know it sounds nuts. But see, that's why. That's why God does it. Because you're going to see is not you convincing anyone of anything. It is God revealing himself to them. And if Paul can say, I'm unashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of Christ to save, then why should we be ashamed? Why should we be ashamed of the one who bore our shame on the cross? Why? And why should we be ashamed to witness and tell others through word and deed, through sacrificial love? Through sacrificial love, why should we be ashamed of speaking the very truth that could cause Christ to remove their shame and remove the shame of sin and death on their life? Why would we hold that back? Why? We shouldn't. Listen, I got to confess the reason why it was hard for me to say a lot of these things, you know, witness to people personally. And let me be real. It was really hard for me, even as a pastor, to even say from a stage, you're going to go, you're a sinner, you're going to go to hell for a while. 
because I, I gotta be real, I'm not gonna confess, I was more afraid of people accepting me than I was them accepting Christ. You'll get that? I was selfish. I cared more about the way I looked and who I was and how they saw me versus how they saw Christ and their condition. I was selfish. I was prideful. Listen, Jesus, Jesus handled it. We don't have to worry. He's not going to look at you and like, oh, you only had led three people to Jesus? You only led three people to me? Bro, you can get the back of the line. No, because those are three more people. Three more people that made into the family of God. Three more people that God used you to plunder hell and populate heaven. Three more people. And to treat Jesus, he would be grateful for that. It's not about the numbers, guys. It's about being faithful. Look at Luke. He just wrote stuff on a sheet of paper. And look how God is using that to witness. Guys, you don't know how a social media post can witness to somebody. You don't know. How do you carry yourself in the way you speak and the way you act? And may we not be ashamed of this God. May we not be ashamed of this gospel. May we not? Because there is power on this. And if you want purpose, some of you guys, you're looking for college, right? You're, you're, you know, trying to see what am I going to do with my life, right? Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Some of you getting there, you know, it's like, I'm just searching what, what's my purpose in life. Let me tell you, no purpose is going to be greater than literally following Christ and pointing people to Jesus. And you can do that no matter the career, no matter what you do for a living, whether you have a job or not. That purpose fulfills and that calling can give purpose to any, any career that you have right now. That's what matters most. So I'm going to ask you a question. The same question that the angels asked the apostles. Guys, what are you sitting there? What are we doing sitting there? What are you doing staring at me? What are you doing staring at me? What are you doing staring at me? Believe and receive right now. Believe and receive right now the gift of God. Some of you need to believe and receive right now the gift of salvation in Christ. Confessing your sin and recognizing if God is calling and tugging on your heart, you say, Lord, I forgive me of my sin. Take me right now. Forgive me. Fill me. Fill me right now. Help me follow you. Rescue me because he is the only one that could rescue you. Some of you need to accept the forgiveness of your sins right now. And some of you need to receive the Holy Spirit for the first time right now. And some of you need to receive this word. Some of you need to receive the fact that you've already received the Holy Spirit and you have more in you than you realize. And that's a truth that you need to receive today. You do these things, guys, and we're going to witness the living God transform our lives in the process. And as he does, just go tell somebody about it. Yo, the great commission that we've been given, the great commission that we've been given is not a solo mission. Okay. It is a commission because we are meant to do this with each other and with God himself. Because he said, not only, Hey, go, but by the way, I'm going with you. And guys, I want you to know that a revolutionary, the kind of revolutionaries that our world needs Okay, the kind of revolutionary our world needs right now are true evangelists, true witnesses for Christ. Those who are unashamed of not only the gospel, all right, the message that we have a savior, God, who died for our sins in our place so that we can be saved. And all we have to do is believe if we can act on faith and not only say that, but live by that and show others in the way we love others and sacrificially God is going to do what he does. We act on faith and we're going to see an act of God. 
And we need to begin by having that, begin by having a heart for God's house, the lost and found, because true revolutionaries revolve their life around Christ and they don't do it alone. They do it in community, inside and with the house of God. And so may we pray, Lord, give me a heart for your house. Give me a heart for the lost that you can lead me to help become a member of a, a member of our house, a member of the family of God. Give me a heart for the lost, but also give me a heart for the found that we may continue to love one another inside impact those inside the church so we can live in such a way that will influence those outside of the church to place their trust and confidence in Jesus alone.